hey, Happy New Year, everyone. So good to be with you this morning, and we're going to continue our morning of worship with a time of prayer. And so uh, we're going to have just some quiet moments for you to connect with God, and I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 40 here, just a fitting text to kick off the new year. So would you hear from Isaiah 40, starting in verse 28? It says, have you not, or do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful to be gathered as a church family in worship. And God, we acknowledge together that you are the everlasting God. You are the one sovereign creator of the ends of the earth of the universe and everything that is. You are everlasting. You will not grow tired or weary. Your strength and understanding, Lord, none of us can fathom. And so we worship you, God, as the one who fully deserves our devotion and our worship and our commitment, uh, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you made us and that you love us and that you invite us to know you. And Father, many of us come in this morning uh, weary or burdened or looking back at 2022 and acknowledging that it was hard and filled with challenges and loss and, and grief perhaps. And so, Lord, we're aware of our need for you. We need you to strengthen us. Your word says you give strength to the weary and power to the weak. You renew our strength when we hope in you. So, Lord, that's why we're here. We don't check our sorrows at the door, but they are what what drive us to your throne. To say, Lord, would you help? Lord, would you lift our eyes? Would you encourage our hearts? And so we start this new year, Lord, in worship, uh, recommitting ourselves fully to you, to love you, to worship you, to walk in your ways. We look out ahead at 2023. We ask now for your blessing for your spirit to guide us, for your wisdom, for your help in all that lies ahead. God, we pray that this year we would see abundant fruit as we follow you. Fruit in our lives individually, fruit uh, as a church, we would see growth and impact as disciples are made, as we share the gospel and love our neighbors.
So thank you, Lord, that although it's a new year, the calendar has changed. You, you never change. You are constant. You are our rock. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're our source of hope and joy, uh, now and forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm calling on the God, Jacob, whose love endures through generation. I know that you will keep the covenant. I'm calling on the God, Moses. The one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. For me, for me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God Mary. Whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David. Who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath. But I've got my own giant. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. Now I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. All right. Well, hey, good morning again. And uh, would you join me in the book of Mark chapter six? Turn with me there now if you have a Bible. And 
Uh, we again just want to welcome you to FBC. We're so glad that you are here, and uh, I'm glad to be here too. Because as many of you know, I caught COVID before Christmas, right before Christmas. And so uh, on short notice, had to stay home and missed you all on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. And of course, a huge thank you to Andre and to Ian for preaching on short notice and for the whole rest of the team uh, pulling together and making things run smoother. I hope that you had a great time if you were able to come and worship with us on one or both of those days. Hopefully you had a great Christmas uh, with your family or friends or however you celebrated. Uh, And now, Happy New Year! Right, the first day of of 2023. Did anyone make it up to uh, to midnight last night? Anyone stay awake till the new year? Okay, a lot of people. And did anyone proudly go to bed like before nine o'clock? Yeah, a few of us. All right, right on. I normally I'm with you. Um, well, so welcome. It's good to be together. And uh, hey, so next week, we're starting a new sermon series where we're going to walk through the book of Acts. Uh, it's time to get back in a book. It's been a little while where we've done some uh, studies in uh, Love Your Church, talking about what does it mean to be the church. We had some Advent time in the book of Isaiah, but now we're going to jump into Acts chapter one and just spend some time, uh, a good amount of time, just walking through the New Testament book of Acts, which I'm really looking forward to. But this morning, uh, we have, that means just one Sunday, a standalone Sunday. So I've been praying and thinking, of course, about what God would have us consider and look at together this morning. And Mark chapter six uh, comes to mind, starting in verse 30. Uh, This is one of those passages for me that God just continues to bring up over and over again. I've preached on it a number of times over the almost six years that I've been here. So maybe many, uh, much of it will be familiar to you, but it's like a life verse for me. You know, one of those, uh, maybe you have a life verse, just a passage or a verse that so deeply resonates with you. Maybe it's, again, Jeremiah 29, 11 is yours, or, or John three sixteen or Philippians 4, 13, or Second uh, Kings chapter 2, 23 to 24. That's a lesser known one, but you can look that up now and talk to me about it afterwards. It involves bears. Maybe that's your life verse. Again, 2 Kings 2, 23 to 24. Let me know. But anyways, that, this passage, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, is one of those for me. It's one of those you know, top five passages uh, or scriptures that, that God has used in my life to grip my heart and to shape me and, and, and mold me. And so uh, we're going to look at it together this morning. And other than the resurrection... Uh, it's the, the only miracle in the Gospels that appears in all four of the Gospels. So it, it's so, it's profound. Um, so let's read it together. We'll see how it all starts in Mark 6, verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we come and we are just grateful for who you are. And we're grateful that you've given us your word, that we can read it now. We can read it together, reflect on it and learn about who you are and what you call us to how you call us to live. And so we just ask this morning, God, that you would teach us. We come with open hands and humble hearts to receive from you 
your, your word, your encouragement, your conviction, whatever it is you have for us this morning, we want to start the new year uh, with a posture of, of humility on our knees before you. So Lord, would you have your way this morning as we look to Mark 6? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mark 6, verse 30, just before this text that we read, we see the disciples were sent out to minister in the surrounding areas. And they were calling people to repentance. They were casting out demons. They were healing people. And now in verse 30, we read that they have returned, right? They came back and now they're reporting to Jesus and to one another all that has happened, all that's been done. And the text tells us, that they are tired. The demands of ministry have been so intense. It's been so action-packed with people nonstop. Verse 31 says they didn't even have a chance to eat. So they need rest and they're hungry. And we know when you combine those two things, it's a dangerous combination, right? When you're hungry and tired, bad things happen. There's a word for it. They're hangry. And so the text presents us with perhaps a mirror into our own souls this morning. We look at these weary disciples just to start, and perhaps we can relate. Maybe now more than ever, right? It's after the Christmas season. We've had weeks, weeks of of parties and events and serving and, and gatherings and cooking and interacting and traveling. And perhaps now, maybe more than anything, we just want to nap right? We want to rest. We've been with people nonstop. Some of us as extroverts, we just kind of eat that up. But even extroverts, right? Reach a point where like, I just need a book and my couch and no one to be around. I mean, maybe it took you just everything that you had simply to make it through the season, this gauntlet of these past few weeks. And now, now, Everyone's cheery and looking at you saying, Happy New Year! And what's your resolution? And let's kind of, you know, push this, this next season ahead and let's take the next hill for Jesus. And it feels a bit like we're drawing from an empty well, perhaps. So like these disciples, activity and busyness and weariness. And Jesus notices they haven't had a chance to eat and they need rest. Look again at verse 31. Because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is like, you guys need to recharge your batteries. Need a little retreat, little vacation here with Jesus. And so verse 32 tells us that they, they go. And they try to get some rest. But look at verse 33 says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So Jesus has this great plan for his disciples, right? Rest, uh, recharging their batteries, being uh, refreshed in spirit. Let's draw away, but it doesn't work, right? Verse 33, the people saw them, recognized what was happening And from nearby towns, they all ran ahead of them, got to the place where the disciples were going and crashed their little retreat. So when the disciples show up, all the people are already there. I mean, imagine this. Imagine you're going away for a vacation and all the people that you wanted to get away from show up at your Airbnb. 
Or you, you drive home from your last Christmas party or your last Christmas event just ready for some time by yourself and you pull in your driveway and you walk in your house and all those people you just left are there in your living room. That's what it would be like for them. Like we just need some rest. We wanted to get away and now here everything is still right on our doorstep, right in front of us. And it leaves us wondering how will Jesus and, and the weary disciples respond? to these persistent crowds, these persistent needs that won't seem to leave them alone, these people butting in somewhere where they're really not supposed to be. Well, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Notice as the weary crowds flock to Jesus and his disciples, he doesn't send them away. He doesn't say, hey, can I see your tickets, please? No, you guys aren't supposed to be here at this event and show them the door. He doesn't say, boundaries, guys. My disciples need some rest, some R&R. No, what does he do? He has compassion on them. He welcomes the crowd. He teaches them. Kind of the first big point for us to see here, it's, it's important to see the welcome of Jesus because some of us are convinced that God doesn't have time for us. I mean, he's very busy and important running the universe after all. And so we feel like we're not sure God has time to connect with us or to listen to us. Or give us the time of day. I mean, he has uh, more important people he's talking with and working with than us. And so if we were to show up, we're not sure how he would respond. We feel inadequate or we feel unworthy. Or maybe it's because of the sin or shame of our past or our present failures or the rejection we've experienced at the hands of others or at the hands of the church, perhaps. Uh, We feel like we're just waiting to be turned away again. Or we're waiting to be found out, waiting for someone to realize who we really are, to tap us on the shoulder and say, excuse me, you're not supposed to be here. But look at what Jesus does. The crowd shows up where they're not really supposed to be. And he has compassion on them. He says, hey guys, there's room for more. Come on in. And he loves them and he sits down with them and he teaches them. So maybe the reminder you needed this morning is simple and it's that Jesus will not turn you away. If you're here this morning wanting to come back to the Lord, wanting to seek Jesus, he's drawing you near. He's he's not going to turn you away. He's not going to tell you, hey, it's actually kind of a bad time. Just come back next week. He's, He's glad that you are here. And we read about his heart of compassion, looking at verse 34, he has compassion on them because it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. What a picture. Sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they didn't have anyone looking out for them. No one was was feeding them or caring for them or protecting them or, or leading them or providing for them. I mean, the current religious leaders certainly weren't. And so they're just kind of on their own, left to fend for themselves. Hungry, 
lost. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? How dependent sheep are. How the quality of life for a sheep depends on the quality of their shepherd. Sheep don't survive on their own. They fall over or get eaten or fall off cliffs or get lost or you name it. And so sheep without a shepherd. It's a picture of our life apart from Jesus, of you and I, of everyone without Jesus. And that's hard for us, as we often talk about, because we are, again, we're Americans and we like rugged individualism and we don't think we need a shepherd and we feel like we should be independent and self-sustaining. And especially for our, our younger generations, this is just the water we swim in. It's what we drink, what we breathe in, the air of, of independence where, where we are told that we should flourish. The way to the good life is to be your, your own authority, really to be your own God and to, to set the rules for yourself as to how to live, what good and, and evil looks like for you. You decide. And so we're, we're running around trying to flourish without the loving care of a shepherd. We're trying to do everything and be everything for ourselves. And the research shows, as we talked about before, that we are more anxious and depressed and exhausted than ever before. And so it's not working. And I, and I say this not with, please don't hear, with, don't hear anger, um, but hear sadness. And compassion, I think sometimes there's this narrative that we as, as Christians will look at the outside world and sometimes get, get grumpy or it's like this us versus them mentality or look at the world that doesn't care about Jesus and it'll make some people angry. But I think it should make us more sad and, and moved with compassion that there are, there are people, again, a lot of young people especially, that are just, just exhausted and weary and anxious and depressed and trying to be everything for themselves. They're like sheep without a shepherd when all along Jesus is inviting them to come and, and live under his good care. That there is a shepherd for them who loves them, who can feed them and protect them and lead them and guide them. And he invites them to come and experience full abundant life in him that only he can provide. How tragic then that so many refuse the loving care of the good shepherd. So if anything, this should move us with, with compassion to share the hope of the gospel and the love of Jesus with friends and family and neighbors and whoever will listen. So we see the compassionate heart of Jesus, the good shepherd. The love and care of God. God is not some absentee dad off running the universe too busy for his children. When Jesus looks at us, it's not with annoyance or indifference, but it's with compassion and invitation. Look at how the passage continues. Verse 35, again, the crowds arrived. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Okay, pretty reasonable, 
right? Development here. Uh, Jesus is teaching the crowds. They crashed, you know, again, the Airbnb, they crashed the retreat. They're all there and it's getting late and there's a lot of them and they're going to need food. And so the disciples say, hey, I'm doing the math here and um, we're going to need to send these people away because we don't have anything to feed them. Seems reasonable, right? We're not even close to a Denny's, right? And these people got to eat. And so they're going to have to go and, and figure it out for themselves, Not to mention, again, remember, the disciples are exhausted from nonstop ministry and they were denied their coveted nap. So if we can relate to the, the weary crowds that are like sheep without a shepherd, we can also relate again with the weary disciples who know what it's like to be tired and in a perpetual state of exhaustion. Right? Isn't that what we so often say? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, tired. How are you? Yeah, tired. Me too. Busy. Yeah, that's just like our, that's what we say to each other. So as we read on, we, we understand where the disciples are coming from. Hey, the need is too great. Send the people away. We're done. Jesus, they can figure it out on their own. And look at how Jesus responds. But he answered, You give them something to eat. Say, excuse me? Jesus, look at verse 37. He answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Okay. Crowds showed up. Ruined our vacation, Jesus. Ruined our spa time. And and now you want them to ruin our bank accounts as well. I mean, even if we had this kind of money to spend, to feed, you know, later we'll read it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So it's thousands of people. Even if we had the money, how are we going to go and get it here? It's already late. Again, there's no drive through Taco Bell around. For this huge crowd, all we have is, what, five loaves and two fish. And yet Jesus has the audacity to say to them, you Give them something to eat. Not only are the disciples hungry, tired, exhausted, now they're told by their master to meet these overwhelming needs with completely inadequate resources. You give them something to eat. 5,000 plus. Jesus says, feed them. What? <laughs> I mean, it'd be like, I want you to build this house for me, <clears throat> but you only have five two by fours and two nails. You know, off you go. I want you to fill the car up with gas. Here's $3. And I want you to build a, a bonfire on the beach. Here's five twigs and two wet matches, right? Get to work. The resources are completely inadequate for the need right? It's not enough. Read on. Verse 39. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Again, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Again, the only miracle other than the resurrection that appears in all four gospels. Jesus takes the bread, what little they have, breaks it, gives thanks, and then starts to distribute it with the disciples. And they distribute it to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. Somehow, those five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus multiplied miraculously and fed the crowd. Makes sense that this is hard to believe. This isn't normal. This isn't how math works normally. This isn't how banquets work normally or how food works normally. It's supposed to leave us in awe, perplexed, confused, maybe, amazed. I mean, really, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. Jesus somehow provides for the crowd and not, not just barely like they took the five loaves and the fish and just like broke off one little bite and piece and morsel. And somehow everyone got a little bit. No, there was just abundance, right? The disciples verse 43 says, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, 12 giant to go boxes afterwards. There was just so much abundance, so much food provided. So what do we do with this here on the first day of 2023? What does this mean for us, for FBC? A couple things. I think first it reminds us that Jesus takes what little inadequate resources we have and he uses it. Again, Jesus takes what little inadequate resources we have and he uses it. And he calls us even to participate with him in ministry. Do you see the invitation in the text? He doesn't say to the disciples, I got this, you guys sit down, I'm gonna make things happen. He invites them to partner with him in ministry. He says, you give them something to eat. And then he, he works this miracle through them. So we don't see one of, or either extreme of, hey, you guys sit down and let God handle this. And we also don't see, hey, everything has to be done in your own strength. It's up to you. We see this combination of their responsibility and activity and participation and uh, the miracle uh, and the, the sovereignty and the power of God. And so this is, I would argue, really the paradigm for following Jesus. Whether you're in ministry 
or whether you're just out and about in your life, in the world, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You have completely overwhelming needs all around you. And you have completely inadequate resources to meet those needs. And yet you follow a completely adequate and powerful Jesus. That's the paradigm for life as a Christian. You look out and there's completely overwhelming needs. And you have completely inadequate resources to meet those needs. And yet you follow a completely adequate and powerful Jesus. And so the question for each of us this morning is to consider where are you feeling like the disciples? Where in your life are you overwhelmed? Looking out at the needs in front of you. Looking out at a crowd of 5,000 plus saying, there's no way. And maybe it's as you look at your family and the needs or demands of your family right now and what you have to provide and offer. Maybe it's some other kind of relational dynamic that's difficult. Maybe it's something related to ministry and service and how God is using you. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's just the demands of the coming year where you look out and you say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough time to do what God's called me to do. I don't have enough money to do what God's called me to do. I don't have enough energy to do what God has called me to do. I don't have enough attention to give to everyone who needs attention in my life. For me, it's all of the above. I don't have enough. And God looks at you and says, you give them something to eat. You take what little you have, bring it to me, put it in my hands and watch what happens. Right? Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have, the little he has given you. Put it in his hands. Use it for his kingdom. You might be surprised at how far it goes. The next point, and really the key of the whole passage, as we've seen, is that Jesus is the one who provides the miracle. He's the one who ultimately provides the food. He's the miracle worker. And so the point is that the disciples cannot rely on their own resources. They have to rely on Jesus to provide. Isn't that the, the paradox of life with Jesus? You don't have what you need to do what he's called you to do. He tells the disciples to feed the crowd. They don't have enough food. He says, exactly. You need something outside of yourself. And that's hard for us. Again, rugged, American, individualist. Ah, I'll do it myself. Ah, we're so used to being told that the answer to what you need is within, right? 90% of, of Disney movies have that plot line. Just, and I love Disney movies, but really, look within. That's where you'll find what you need, the strength, the resources, the whatever it might be. The virtue, the power, to get you through this tough time, it's within. That's where you need to look. But this is the opposite. And yes, we should affirm human dignity 
and capacity and creativity and, and strength. And we're made in the image of God and entrusted with all kinds of opportunity and ability to, to be at work with him in his world, of course. But we need to see that the ultimate answer to what we need does not lie within ourselves. It lies outside of us. So, so when we're looking to overcome the addiction or, or, or break that destructive habit and pattern in our life, or move away from lust, or, or greed, or, or selfishness, or we want to start the year with more, more discipline, and better rhythms, and habits, or whatever it may be. Jesus says, don't, don't look within. You're going to burn out. Because if, if that's where the answer was, if the answer was within, then you want to be where you are. The whole point is you don't have what you need, so look to me. That's the point. Jesus is the the provider, the miracle worker, the sustainer, the the shepherd feeding his sheep. That's what the passage is really about. I mean, it's it's always pointing us to Jesus, isn't it? We don't even see how the disciples react. You notice that in the text? It doesn't tell us how the disciples react. doesn't tell us how the crowd reacts other than that they had full stomachs and were satisfied. I mean, elsewhere, when we see this miracle, it'll actually tell us like, hey, the people were amazed or something like that. But here, we don't get any of that. It's almost as if the whole focus is just placed right on Jesus. Look at his provision. Now, as miraculous as this is, we've seen it before. Right? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Look back in, in Exodus, for, you don't have to turn there, but Exodus chapter 16, uh, Numbers chapter 11, it, it tells the story of how God provided bread from heaven for his people, right? To feed them. He, he leads them out of slavery in Egypt and then they're in the wilderness. Do you remember the story? And they're on the way to the promised land he was leading them to. And along the way, there's no food. And the people grumble as we often do. And God provides for them, miraculously. Bread, manna from heaven. True story. And as we're reading through John, excuse me, Mark chapter 6, there's all these parallels, right? A great mass of people out in the wilderness, away from food, miraculous provision. And so the people who knew their Old Testament, there with Jesus, and who would read this story would think, wait a second, God is the one who provides bread from heaven miraculously to feed his people in the wilderness. That's what God does. God alone is able to do an act like this. But now we see Jesus doing it. So what does that tell us about Jesus? Shows us this this greater reality of who Jesus is. And the point is not that, hey, disciples will never go hungry and we'll never starve and we'll have all the earthly comforts we want. That's not the point. There's this, this deeper spiritual truth on display here that Jesus provides for us and meets our greatest needs. I mean, the language here, if we're going to look back to the Exodus story, we can also look forward a little bit to the Last Supper. And we see how the language here in this miracle is so similar 
to the Last Supper where Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he blesses it and, and shares it. It's the same sequence that happens at the Last Supper. And that night, he told them what? This is my body broken and given for you. He took the cup in the same way. This is my blood given for you. And so this miracle links us to the heart of the gospel. That that Jesus came not to provide just an abundantly good meal to 5,000 men plus in the first century, but Jesus came to provide abundant eternal life to whoever would believe in him. This is about so much more than a few loaves and a few fish in the first century. This is pointing us to the gospel. That Jesus provides for us in a way that no one else can. That we in our, in our sin deserve death and judgment before a holy God and we're powerless to provide for or save ourselves. We can't do it in our own strength. We don't have what we need. And so here we, we don't celebrate just some, some life tips and tricks and some little good advice that the Bible gives out. No, we celebrate Uh, the person and work of Jesus, our Savior. While we were dead in our sins, He died for us. He took our place on the cross. He took our sin upon Himself so that whoever would believe in Him would be, what, forgiven, made alive, restored to right relationship with God. And so the miracle of provision in the feeding of the 5,000 points us to the even greater truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior of the world. And so friends, no matter where you are today, starting 2023, there's again two possible reminders for the new year. The first is, hey, you may be tired like the disciples. You might be coming in pretty weary today. And your resources, however you define that, are likely completely inadequate for what God is calling you to in the new year. And even still, Jesus is going to call you to show up, to take what he has given you, place it in his hands, and use it for his kingdom. And he'll make it enough. And the second reminder we need this morning is that Jesus is our good shepherd and our provider, the one who abundantly gives his people what they need, the one who feeds the masses, the one who gives life and salvation and and forgiveness of sins. And John, he'll say that he is the bread of life. Not bread like this story where it's temporary and leaves you hungry hours later, but true and lasting life. Only Jesus can give this to us. And so as we we close the time in the text this morning, let us remember the good news of the gospel. And we have a chance to do that, to respond uh, by taking communion, starting off the year by taking these elements together as a church family. Uh, You should have received this uh, packet when you came in with the bread and the cup. It represents and reminds us of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, the bread of life who came to give us eternal life. And so he told his followers to do this as they gather 
in remembrance of him. And so we do exactly that as a church family uh, here today. We practice an open table at FBC, which simply means uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a member here, or even if you're just visiting, we invite you, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, to participate with us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll take the elements together in just a moment. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you are uh, rich in mercy. And even when we were dead, uh, you, you made us alive. And you sent your son Jesus to die for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, we thank you. You are the bread of life. We thank you for your abundant provision, both temporarily meeting our needs and also eternally giving us eternal life. We worship you this morning. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Amen.